Welcome to the Cloud Architects Podcast, a podcast about cloud, technology, and the people using it. The Cloud Architects Podcast is sponsored by Kemp Technologies. Choose Kemp to optimize your multi-cloud application deployments and simplify multi-cloud application management. A single pane of glass for application delivery, Kemp provides a 360-degree view of your entire application environment and even third-party ADCs. Download Kemp 360 for free today at kemptechnologies.com. Hello and welcome to the Cloud Architects podcast from sunny Orlando. The last time we did this, I pointed out that we were in California, which was very funny at the time, except we had it edited out. So this year, it's just a joke. We are, in fact, coming from Orlando. This is Nicholas Blank here with my co-host, Christopher Goosen. Hello. Uh, we're missing Warren today. We've uh, we've been a little bit busy over the last month or so. So for those of you who are regular listeners to the show, you've you would have noted an absence of episodes over the last uh, month or two, mostly because we've been ramping up for Ignite, and uh, we're so busy. Here we are, the two of us. We're three. Warren's off presenting somewhere, so we're without Warren for this episode. So later on this week, which in terms of our publishing schedule will be in the next couple of weeks or months, you'll hear lots of stuff with Warren in it. But for now, we are talking to Brenda Carter and Joe Davies from the Microsoft Documentation team. Hello, Brenda, and hello, Joe. Hello, Hello. Nicholas. Hello, Chris. So, if we may, Brenda, we'll start with you. Do you mind introducing yourself and telling us what do you do? And then Joe will ask you to do the same. Sure. So, I'm Brenda Carter, and I work at Microsoft. I'm a principal technical writer at Microsoft, and I focus on architecture. I've been at Microsoft for a while. I started back in the day in the Windows Management Division. So I worked on Systems Management Server, Operations Manager, and then moved over to SharePoint and yeah. worked on a variety of topics there. And now focus on Microsoft 365, which includes pulling together a lot of products across the suite. We've heard an awful lot about Microsoft 365 this week. Yes, and you're going to hear more. Yeah, yeah. So before we go down that rabbit hole, Joe, do you want to tell us about yourself? Hello. Um, yes, this is Joe Davies. I'm a technical writer at Microsoft. I started at Microsoft in 1991 doing phone support for MS-DOS 5 and Windows 3.0. Uh, transitioned into training and then from there into the product teams for uh, documentation on Windows 2000 server. Um, and so from there, um, I, I was in Windows server for a long time um, and have, have since uh, migrated over SharePoint and done some Azure stuff and now back in, in, in office documentation uh, where we did some cloud architecture and now my focus is, is telling people how to deploy Microsoft 365 Enterprise. Wow, so the last few years we would have been very familiar with your voice because you did a whole bunch of calls. Yes, uh, we did some uh, uh, cloud adoption advisory board uh, sessions, uh, uh, webinars that we did and I presented various uh, parts of our documentation along the way. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you guys are effectively part of the documentation team at Microsoft? Yes. That's correct. And currently there's a massive focus at Microsoft on everything is the North Star we heard this week. So Microsoft is pushing towards getting the entire world going over to Microsoft 365. So what does it mean for your guys' lives? And we think our customers are going to be saying, oh, gosh, okay, yet another product name. Is this a new thing? Is this a new set of services we need to adopt, etc.? So, and we'll unpack that a little bit later, but I'd like to start off the, the conversation by 
customers, and we still have a lot of customers who are on three-year cycles and six-year cycles, and they were very comfortable being on-premises. And you guys both come out of that world. So every three years, you would work towards a release date, you would write towards that release date, and things were much more comfortable there, in my mind. Now, I see changes in the portal sometimes every two weeks or less. And how do you guys even keep pace with that? Bearing in mind, you have to write the documentation, the customer-facing documentation for that. Yeah, that is a challenge, Nick, for sure. Um, I would say the kind of work that Joe and I do, we see features crop up quickly far less. So we work on architecture and deployment. So a lot of the stuff that that the new features coming out we know about and we're actually eager to see them go from private private preview into public preview so we can factor them into content but we do have colleagues that work more closely with features or even UI and they're way more affected by kind of more quick turnaround at Microsoft. Mm -hmm. um, the things that do affect us is when stuff starts um, like strings change in the UI or the control went from here to there so we, we do have to pay attention to that. Yes. Um, yeah, in the cloud world, things do change. They will evolve. Uh, they will improve. And it, it depends on the level of documentation that you're doing. For cloud architecture, we need to uh, look at it every couple of months to make sure that we're, we're talking about this, the, the right things in the right way and included the, the latest features. And for things like test lab guides that I do, those are very procedure heavy. And yes, we have to go back to them and make sure that we understand how to tell the customer to click through and, and uh, access the UI in a very specific way. So it is a challenge, but we are trying, Microsoft is trying to get to that cloud world where um, people are used to the level of change and can, um, can sort of ride the wave with it. So, so would you say with the way that, uh, I guess with as cloud, cloud adoption has grown, that people, and especially the end customers, becoming more reliant on the documentation? Or, or do you find, I mean, this is you know, just an opinion thing, because I think from, from our side, we, you know, when we were working with on-premises products, we would get to know the product really well, mm -hmm. and we wouldn't need to look at documentation really during the deployment cycles for that particular version of the product. Then the next version of the product came out, we would have to skill up. But I, f I feel like now I'm having to refer to documentation far more frequently, um, and I wonder that's probably something that customers will find too. Is that something that you guys have experienced, or do you have any sort of opinion on that? Well, I, I think it's a matter of how new those products are. If, uh -huh. if, you're, if you've been a SharePoint architect for a long time, it's, it's a pretty incremental thing for you to uh, absorb the new features in, in 2019 if you're 2016. With the cloud, lots of things are new, and so uh, people are having to rely on the documentation uh, a bit more to skill up in, a, in an entirely new area. Uh, but I will say that what we're trying to do in the cloud is make it as easy as possible, make that transition from on-prem behaviors to cloud-based behaviors, um, make that transition as easy as we can, and provide the, the supporting documentation to help that transition. Yeah, I would kind of add to that. I, I think in the old world, you'd see specialists in Exchange and specialists in SharePoint, and now everything is coming together and you need to kind of understand everything from Azure AD and Intune over to SharePoint Teams, everything. Mm -hmm. And so I find myself when working on projects, I have to refer back to content I wrote previously or something my colleagues have written. So I'm into the, in the content just as much as our customers, refreshing my memory on how things work so that I can finish the piece I'm writing. And have you guys found that over time you've changed the way you deliver documentation or was, is the engagement model with the product group or the product teams changed? Uh, it, it has for me in one way that um, um, 
I've, I've tried to try to get used to this is that in the on-prem world, um, you can afford to be a deep technical expert in a given product and really go to that 300 and 400 level or whatever the, the, the advanced level of understanding. And with cloud architecture and, and cloud services that are changing all the time, you have to give up on a little bit of that and be able to have more breadth and less depth in some areas in order to be able to understand all the technologies, how they're stitched together, and how to make them, uh, combine them in ways that provide additional value. And so for, for me personally as a writer, I've had to give up um, going really, really technically deep. I mean, I wrote TCP IP protocol books that went down to the actual field headers and, and uh, field values and talked all about that. And I haven't done that kind of documentation in a long yeah. time because in the cloud world, it's really about the overall understanding and the overall business value of combining rather than a deep technical expertise in one given area. So I find that my on-premises experience is, is really valuable when we get into a, a tenant to tenant migration scenario, for example and we in the, the brave new world of B2B, and B2B makes things relatively transparent for customers, and it has its own story. However, for example, if I look at a, um, an on-premises Active Directory, and that's replicating up to an online tenant, and then we need to merge those tenants together, if we don't have a deep understanding of GUIDs, of SIDs, of objects, then someone who's born in the cloud just literally doesn't know how to do that and create a meaningful transition model that has the least possible interruption for the customer. Okay. Um, for the B2B story, I'll, I'll go ahead and defer to, uh, to Brenda. She's done some work in that area for, for identity. Well, I haven't done a lot of work. <laughs> so not really question that, but much more of a comment to say that we still need those 300 and 400 level people who understand the... Um, we like talking about things like substrates in the cloud world <laughs> and glue and that type of thing. So we have identity glue and exchanges of substrate, et cetera. But we sometimes still get into the area, particularly identity being a hot field at the moment, where if we don't understand the basis of Active Directory and identity, it's difficult to preserve that customer experience when we're doing a um, anything above a few hundred objects and we want to ensure that we don't have to communicate passwords out to users, you know, the, the holy grail of preserving authentication. Yeah, absolutely. And Nicholas, you've just identified an outstanding request for content that mm -hmm. we have, which is mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. And that touches identity. It's the subscription level for Office 365 identity. Um, there's so much that goes into that. And so that's something that's on our kind of docket of things to tackle. And um, I don't know, maybe the product teams can help too. So, so I think uh, you, you said a very uh, fa fascinating thing there, Joe, earlier about um, just changing the level of the depth of, of what you used to write. And I think in, in our world, right, with, with, with if I look at the way I used to have to write design documents for customers for Exchange 2010, where we would have to go down to I.O. level and the storage and, and determine the number of LUNs and the number of spindles and all that kind of stuff, um, we really don't need to go to that level of depth when we're doing designs for uh, you know, cloud adoption products these days, right? So I think there is a little bit of a change in, in the world. I think people aren't necessarily as interested in the ones and zeros anymore, or at least maybe they don't need to care about them as much. Mm. Um, so that, I think that's a, that's a really fascinating point. But um, Brent, I want to touch on something that you said too about 
uh, requests for content, right? And, and and maybe this is something we could cover off as we as we sort of finish off the 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 episode. But um, kind of thinking about how possibly people could are people able to get in touch with you all for requests for content if there's something like that is is there a direct sort of feedback loop through to your team or are there other ways that people can request or submit um i guess content requests um well i would say that uh, what we've done recently is we've migrated the core of our content from TechNet, and there's another site called support.office.com where we primarily publish we've migrated a lot of that content to docs.microsoft.com the GitHub repositories, and that model of publishing. And now for every article, there's a feedback mechanism down at the bottom where you can leave your comments. Uh, and I'd say that that's, that's a great way to contact the writers to say, um, where, where is this level of documentation? Where, where is this set of documentation that I need in order to do these things? And that's a primary uh, way that you can request because the, the, the writer can then go to the product team and say, is this available? Uh, when can we get this, uh, this, this written for the customer? Okay. And, and I would also say that, uh, it's, I don't want to mislead, that it's, it's not that you can't go to the 400 level, the, the advanced depth, technical depth, um, but in the cloud world, there's just so many components. You have to be comfortable and adept at going to that advanced level of depth for a given thing at a given time and then be able to switch gears onto something else mm -hmm. and go to the the appropriate level of depth in order to get the entire story straight. And, and there are just some things that it doesn't make sense to go deep in, right? So if you're not paying for the disks in Exchange Online, you really don't need to care about right. what the storage subsystem looks like. Right, so the, the technical expertise is in Exchange Online and the security settings and uh, the uh, the identity infrastructure that supports them, the mailboxes, the mailbox maintenance, and so on. So, we also have an email address people can send feedback to cloudadopt at microsoft.com. Mm -hmm. We publish that at the bottom of the mini posters and the large format posters that we produce, and it's in some of our articles. So you're welcome to send requests to us or even questions to cloudadopt at microsoft.com. Another way we get requests and take feedback is by meeting with customers directly. Um, we have a cloud advisory adoption board that Joe helps run, but mm -hmm. you know, one of the reasons we're here at Ignite is to sit down with customers, and we've got 47 customers on our calendar wow. for technical one-on-ones this week uh, in a variety of topics, and so we listen, and basically customers nominate themselves to meet uh, with a technical expert based on a problem that they're experiencing or a hurdle that they need to get over. These are the customers that we love to meet with because these are the customers that have already exhausted our content. They're already reading that, and so by listening to them over the course of the week, we pick up themes and opportunities for us to um, make content investments that will help all our customers. Right. And, and what's great about that is that these are real world customers that we can have extended conversations with and look at the real world uh, problems and uh, third party apps and third party software and legacy this and, and so it, it's a uh, it's a great way to, to dip our toe into the, the real world and see the complexities that customers are having. Yeah, and so when, when the customers nominate themselves, we've received over 160 nominations to meet, and we, we can't accommodate them all, but just even in the nomination request, we get a tremendous amount of data, and we can see that just about every other customer is requesting help for identity and device access. Right. Yeah. So we know that's an area we need to do that, better That is a, uh, a fundamental foundation for anything you do, especially in the cloud synchronizing your, your on-premises with the cloud and then using the cloud in a way that, that lights up those, those larger cloud scenarios. Right, and then in also in that category is the Intune management and then doing 
the right thing when you set up your conditional access and related policies so right. that you've got a configuration that works together across the whole right. suite of products. And, and if I could paraphrase uh, Brad Anderson, he was, he was talking about uh, um, trusted users via their identities, trust, trusted devices via Intune, and trusted apps via Intune and conditional access policies. And that's, that's a, again, a substrate that everything needs to, to operate on top of in order to uh, be secure in the cloud world. And you know, I, I will say, uh, I'm working with a customer right now. I've spent a lot of time reading this documentation that you just mentioned that you talked about, the conditional access stuff, the Intune stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I've spent a lot of time in that over the last uh, couple of months. So you know, very appreciative of all the hard work that goes into that. Right, and, and if there's something there that's missing, please yeah, let us know. Let us know. Right. So have you seen what we call our golden configuration? It's an identity and device content set. It's got, we've, we just made it very visual. It's a set of conditional access policies and related policies in Intune, identity protection. Mm -hmm. it's, it's part of the larger Microsoft 365 Enterprise content set. Okay. So just uh, go to your browser, type in Microsoft 365 Enterprise documentation and you'll find the, the, the top level topic and then there's a identity and device access policies uh, section of that that I refer to often in the deployment guide that, that I've developed. So. Also, we have a nice URL, aka.ms, M365 Golden Config. <laughs> you can thank Andy Morgan for that right. URL. Interesting. Yeah, we'll, we'll make sure to put that one in the show notes. I haven't seen that myself either, so I thank you for about it this week. Oh, there you go. Oh, but yeah. you did hear about it. That's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, that's great. yeah I did. But, but beforehand, I didn't. So that was news to me. And yeah, and so that's one of our challenges on the yeah. content team is actually promoting the content. And I actually posted that on LinkedIn, and it went viral there, and it skipped over to Twitter. And so a lot of people are really interested in that, but we still need to make sure everybody is aware of it. So I'd like to, to touch on something that we used to have in the on-premises world, which was best practices. And what... I suffer with is what I call the long tail of previous best practices. Hmm. So we used to do it like this. And in the exchange world, it was really simple. So I'd go and do an exchange audit on an exchange 2010 or exchange 2013 installation and see that clearly we've got exchange 2007 or 2003 thinking and design in there. So we'd have to have the same arguments with the storage team about why we don't need SAN, etc. But now in the cloud world, things move on really quickly. So we can talk about last year's best practices, but best practices are gone. We don't have this thing of there's necessarily a best practice or one way to do something anymore from a Microsoft standpoint. Clearly, there is a, a manner in which we should adopt optimally, but there's mm -hmm. no single best practice that we can refer to anymore. Yeah, I hear you, Nicholas, and that's something we're working on, and so, like this configuration I just referred to, I would put that in the category of best practice, and the, the work that Joe is doing on the Microsoft 365 deployment guide, right. I would put that in that category, but I know there's so many areas that we need to do better at. Yeah. So, uh, I, I would venture um, to say that uh, perhaps we're not calling it best practice, it's not in the title. Uh, and, and maybe I'm echoing previous documentation sets for Exchange where there was a best practices colon da 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 da. Yes. Um, what Brenda and I have done with the golden configs and the deployment guide is, is those best practices are kind of baked in. Um, she has the golden configs and in the deployment guide I say, uh, at the end of this phase, these are the required 
uh, exit criteria for this that reflect the best practices. So it, it's really sort of baked in, except uh, and and not as prevalent uh, in the exchange world where you had to really specify servers and drives and spindles and performance in order to uh, to get a performant yeah. uh, exchange infrastructure for a given organization. Yeah. What really helps in, in our world as consultants is when we are able to refer customers to a specific set of documentation right. that says, this is how you should do it, mm -hmm. and then your stuff will work. And, mm -hmm. and oftentimes it's not even, it, sometimes it's a, the, the customer just needs to tick the box, right? They, they know that you've done this 100,000 times before, and they know that it, you have a success record that says it's going to work. But until they can tick the box that says, we've seen the documentation from Microsoft that yeah. says mm, X, yes. right. Uh, right. You know, they, they have an uneasy feeling. Right. 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 Yeah. And yeah. one of the things that Brenda and I can do is take that back to our organization and say, um, customers require this. They require this of their consultants. And so maybe we need to do a better job of surfacing those requirements and those practices uh, like we did in the exchange uh, 2007 days. Something that we refer to very often internally is we talk about uh, Peter Block's model of flawless consulting, where effectively there's only two types of people in the world. There are either consultants or customers. And if you're internal to an organization and you have to do something for your manager, you've just become a consultant. Mm -hmm. So anytime you need to render a piece of advice, what phone should I buy? You've just become a consultant. If you don't know what the rules are around that, especially what am I basing my advice on, things get very tricky. So it's not just external consultants, but internal consultants who find this type of backstop from why are you saying this, IT guy or IT girl? Where do I go? Oh, I have this KB article, so I'm in a safe place. And uh, often in, uh, when we'd have conflicting KB articles, you know, things get interesting, but that's that's not your world. At least your world is, let's give you some prescriptive per guidance in terms of architecture, which helps us an awful lot. Because the next thing that we struggle with when we take a customer to cloud for the very first time is where do we even start with governance in cloud? And very typically, we find that customers switch stuff on or Microsoft just switches stuff on in the tenant. And then very quickly, we are in the position where the customer says, I didn't know I was sharing files anonymously via OneDrive. And where do I start with my governance journey? And where does my governance journey even begin in cloud? So what do we tell customers from a documentation point of view? Is there something that says, if you are a customer moving to cloud today or tomorrow, here's a set of governance that or governance practices that we can refer to that puts the customer in a safe place. We have a great resource for security. It's the Office 365 Security Roadmap, top priorities for the first 30 days, 90 days and beyond. And this come, these are recommendations that come from our cybersecurity field team. So that's a great place to start. But just on governance in general, that's an area we need to do a better job tackling. Right. Uh, would the security and compliance uh, portal be a good place to start as well for Office 365? The you know the, the security the, and compliance portal. Yeah, that that is now in docs.microsoft.com that that has has links to all of the the various security and compliance technologies that will give you a sort of a handle on how to how to address governance issues with the features that that we have. Um, and I think those are those are yeah. kind of the primary 
ways. Uh, what I would say to customers is, if we turn something on that is unexpected, then please be vocal about your reaction to that so that future behavior like that can be, can be considered um, uh, from a customer perspective. Yeah, and I think the challenge of just sending them over to the security compliance portal is there's just way too much stuff there. Yep. Yeah, and yeah. I think, mm -hmm. and so we yeah. need to do a better job of prioritizing. So we've got the security roadmap, and I know the identity team just published um, an identity governance roadmap, right. which is top priorities for the first 90 days, right? So it's, first 30, it's, 90 it's, and it's beyond. That 30, 30, 90, 90 plus. Uh, 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 so schedule. Yeah, mm -hmm. maybe we can look at doing something similar for just governance for in governance. general okay. for Office 365. Another thing to look at if compliance is your thing, we have we worked with a, a compliance company, Protivity, is one of our partners, and just published um, what we're calling action plans for GDPR, NIST, and ISO. So if, the, if that's your target, those are great places to start, and those mm -hmm. are similar format, like top priorities for the first 30 days what to do with that within that first quarter, which is 90 days, and then the ongoing work. So those are some great resources. So I'm gonna add two governance topics in there. Customers like to know who did what and when, and they don't care that there's three clouds. It's one vendor. So I wanna know what happened inside Office 365 Azure Dynamics, and I'd like to go to one place. And the other one is, where's my stuff? And so a very typical example there is, it's so easy to do stuff in SharePoint and spin up new sites. It's so easy to create teams. Each one of those locations can create and contain files. How do I know when, when I can delete those things and switch them off? And is there anything important in those locations? That's a great content request. Yeah. I uh, love them both. <laughs> We'll take that back to our team. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to take that back. Cause I, I hear you, though. I open teams, and I'm like a member of 80 teams, and yeah. I don't know what half of them are for. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. See, I, uh, yeah. I was going to just go back to something that, that we talked about just a second ago. Um, you know, it, I think that the documentation stuff is good. It's good to have uh, these action plans and these, these things that customers can refer to. But I think it also starts, or at least has to start, with a, with a robust set of requirements from the customer side. right? Because I think also that this is a two-way street, and I think sometimes... Um, you want to looking at the compliance center. You have hundreds of options of stuff there, things that you can configure, enable, turn turn on, off, mm -hmm. you know, w what have you. But if you don't understand what it is you're trying to achieve, it doesn't matter what which one of those levers and you know things you toggle because you're never going to get the the outcome because the the, mm -hmm. the outcome isn't defined, right? So uh, just a point I wanted to kind of make there is that yeah, I think I like that point from, from a customer side as well. Like it's and and I think that oftentimes is our responsibility, right, as, as the consultant or as the, the architect working with the customer to help them come up with the, the, these requirements or at least um, document them. But, but can that experience be uh, crystallized into a set of common scenarios, quote unquote? I, I think so, uh, because that I think that's very broadly. When I have these Are you heading towards a wizard? <laughs> well, no, not a wizard, but uh, an identification of key things that lots of customers are interested in. Yes. If we knew what those were, then we could, from a documentation perspective, come up with templates or sets of recommendations to say, right. the customer needs to do this, these are the, uh, the appropriate and relevant uh, security and compliance settings that will light up this particular And that scenario. kind of project, I would look for a strong partner, which is why I kind of worked with the cyber team on the security roadmap, why I hired Protivity to help with the governance or for the, um, the compliance roadmaps. But for governance, like, is there a partner that's really strong mm. in governance? 
Yeah, and you, and I mean, that's a good point, though, right? Is is like um, generally when you ask the question of what are your requirements, often mm-hmm. the response you get from a customer is, well, what are other companies doing? Yeah. Right. And again, okay. that's that's kind of like the consultant answer of it depends because right, it really right, right, depends right, right. on what vertical you work in, what industry, etc. Well, and this is why we love the consultants and architects is because you guys see a lot of customers, and so you're yeah. rich, like very you you understand things better than like a feature PM or a writer who focuses in one right, area. Right. So we love working with you guys. Yeah, and it's it's that kind of information that is most helpful for for Brenda and I because we have the experience to go across features and put together documentation that addresses larger business needs. The the problem is we, we don't always know what those business needs are. And and in my opinion is if we get to an answer where it depends, then we're sort of leaving leaving it up to the customers and consultants to sort of figure it out for themselves mm-hmm. and and maybe that's a documentation uh, uh, deficiency well the the it depends normally boils down to if we use the the phone analogy as the example what phone should i buy do you need large screen or small screen so it's very much a process of qualification but eventually boils down to you need to buy a a samsung or an apple or a nokia or something right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you mentioned that it would be great for customers to tell you what those requirements are and what do they want to do. So, Joe, how would a customer find you and Brenda in order to give you that feedback? Well, one way is through the feedback mechanism of individual articles. So uh, they could leave feedback to say, this is my situation. Can somebody contact me? Uh, we may refer them to other people in the company, product PMs, uh, feature PMs that, that can engage them more directly. Uh, that, that's certainly one way. Cloud adopt at Microsoft.com. Mm-hmm. Send right. us the request. <laughs> I, you know, I, I feel like we can get past it depends by focusing on a scenario that's as common as we can make it. Yeah. And I feel like rather than giving the customer the box of Legos, we're going to give them an instruction set for building something specific. And that gets them in a, a very strong supported state so that um, if they do have other requirements, they can modify it, but they're starting with something that works. Yeah, right. And, and I think that the way that the, so you, we talked earlier and you mentioned the, 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 the new platform, right? Or uh, docs.microsoft.com. It's been out for a little while, mm-hmm. but I love the way that the documentation is laid out in that because very often you do get to this, this scenario where it says, well, if you're deploying, um, I'm trying to think of the very specific scenario that I, that I dealt with just a week or two ago where I was like, oh, hey, that's my exact scenario. And I could click the link and yeah. all the documentation that I needed was there. Right. All right. Um, so so, so some of that kind of documentation yeah. is, is going on, but we need more information about what's mm-hmm. most important. For and, us and, and, and having the feedback mechanism on each article or, or you know page is is great because that's contextual to the article or page, right? So if mm-hmm. someone has an issue with a particular article, then they can provide feedback right there and then, and they don't right. have to try and you know, um, I read this thing over here, uh, and and you know I think it should be this, or I have a question about this, right? right. So so I think that's a really smart way to look at it. Okay. So an example of how we did well at this is a project that Joe worked on. Um, so multi-geo customers that are represented around the world with offices um, in, in more than one locale, how do you approach cloud adoption? And so Joe led a project uh, that started actually with a hackathon internally with right. our field architects to gather right. their best practices. And Joe um, championed it through to publication, and it's a really nice kind of mini poster set that goes over everything from subscriptions and identity to Office 365 right. and tenants. So we, we kind of call it a fictional case study where we take Contoso, this fictional but representative global organization, and then we say, how do they approach 
networking, identity, and so on in their transition to the cloud. And more recently, I've done the same sort of treatment for Microsoft 365 to say, how did Contoso, uh, what, what is the result of Contoso adopting Microsoft 365 in terms of networking, identity, information protection, mobile device management, Windows 10, Office 365 Pro Plus, and so on. So those are the ways, uh, some of the ways that we can answer the question of how did somebody else do it, uh, and then we can explain a working configuration based on best practices and then refer people off to individuals. Uh, but Chris, to get back to your point real, real briefly, the feedback mechanism in docs.microsoft.com, yes, can be very article specific, but what you can do in the case of the scenario is go to the, the top node of the scenario that doesn't, that, um, that doesn't match your thing and leave a feedback to say, this is great content, but I need a scenario that tells me how to do X, Y, and Z and that way, uh, at that level, it won't get lost in, in a lower article mm -hmm. that we need another scenario or we need to modify this scenario um, to address the uh, larger customer segment. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, so um, the question I was going to ask uh, just a second ago was about the multi-geo documentation that mm -hmm. you just mentioned. That's published now, is it? Yeah. Oh, excellent. I hadn't seen that, and I, I, I do. I get a lot of questions about that uh, fairly often. I work with some fairly large customers, and uh, you know, every every now and then I get those types of questions. So that's definitely something I want to look out for as well. Okay, so uh, I just give a, a shout out here. The, um, the Contoso for Microsoft 365 Enterprise uh, documentation is at aka.ms slash m365e Contoso. So take a look. Loving all the URLs, thank you. <laughs> so before we let you two go, how do people find your stuff and what do you want to plug? Do you have Twitter handles that you want to promote, um, specific URLs, anything on LinkedIn? What is it that you want to be famous for and want people to be able to find? If I can start with you, Brenda. Okay, well first, before you let me go, I just want to let your audience know that um, content publishing is a great discipline within tech. I would encourage people that are good writers to look into this. It's a yeah. field that you got to have technical chomps, but it's also very creative. So it's a good, you know, left brain, right brain uh, profession to be in. It's very rewarding. Um, I would say if you want to find me, you can, you know, I'm probably most active on LinkedIn. Look for Brenda Carter on LinkedIn. I do post um, articles there and post new content updates there from time to time. So, we, I mean, any sessions in, that, that you know of or that people should be looking out for? I know obviously this is going to be published after, more than likely after the end of Ignite, but if we, we leave the session codes, folks can still look the sessions up. So if any of those come to mind, you know, feel free okay. to publish those too. Yeah, Joe's got a session. Right. So I have a session on Friday. It's called... Uh, the Modern Workplace and the Microsoft 365 uh, Enterprise Deployment Guide. So it's a 20-minute theater session where I, I set up the problem of deployment complexity with a product like Microsoft 365, which is itself made up of three very complex products, and how do you get all this right? Uh, so we set up the problem, and then I talk about how the deployment guide deliverables deliver on addressing the deployment complexity of such a large product. Okay, and how do folks find you, Joe, or what is it that you'd like to plug? Um, well, here's what I like to plug. Uh, Brendan Carter uh, mentioned this, this notion of content publishing or becoming a technical writer is, is a great way for creative people to enter the tech world. And what I would say is that there's not enough of us who um, practice the craft of writing. And here's, here's my thing. Um, I'm in this to lower the, the, uh, the intellectual barrier that is required to 
assimilate the information and adapt it to, to other people. Yeah. There's plenty of writers out there doing technical documentation, but if you want to be a great writer, what you have to do is have the beginner mindset where you have to explain it to people as if they don't already know it. We've all seen documentation where they start at a 300 level and go from there without any laying of the foundation of the technical concepts that are required. So be a great, to be a great writer, you have to pretend that you don't already know it and, and lay it out a step at a time so that people can understand it and get it and, and be successful with, with Microsoft products. So um, my latest uh, project and will continue to be so is the Microsoft 365 Enterprise uh, Deployment Guide. You can get to that content as well as Brenda's uh, Golden Configs through aka.ms slash m365e deploy. So I don't think that you guys uh, are told this often enough, but we're very appreciative of what you guys do. Yeah. I, it certainly helps. Uh, it, our, our jobs wouldn't be possible without what you guys do. So we're very appreciative of that. We are also very appreciative of you guys coming on the show. I know we, we literally started talking about this last year at Ignite. Yes, that's right. So it's been a year <laughs> in the making. So thank you very much for taking the time. Well, that, that's you. great to hear. And one last note, I would say to the to people listening, uh, if, you, if you want better documentation, engage in the feedback. Mm. Because all too often we have to rely on, on limited sources of information um, about the quality of our documentation and how to make it better. So with docs.microsoft.com we have a, a very public feedback mechanism. Um, we see the comments that people have left, we can address those comments, but uh, please engage with us. Both positive and constructive feedback, we'd love to hear how we're doing. Uh, it's great to, to hear it from, from you guys, but we'd love to hear it from individual customers as well. I often think that people don't believe that there's anyone listening on the other side, which is why if there's some level of frustration with documentation, they just throw their hands up in the air and walk away, and you are encouraging folks to please do something. Um, and I would also encourage them to be constructive and specific in their feedback um, so that we know what, what what works and what doesn't and how and how to fix it uh this this article is terrible it is not really actionable yeah um i couldn't understand why we need this option to enable this technical behavior is is much more specific and something we can act on that's wonderful thank you so much thank you both for coming into the show we appreciate the time that you've made to be with us thank you nicholas and, and thank you chris it's been a year but i think um We'll see what's happening next year at Ignite, and we'll see what you guys have got to say then if you're willing to come back onto the show. Sure. Absolutely. So thank you very much. Have a wonderful rest of the week. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. We just wanted to say thank you for listening. We really enjoy putting this podcast together for you every two weeks. Please visit us at thearchitects.cloud or alternatively drop us a tweet. We'd love to hear what you have to say. 